some of the questions raised have to deal with who is Jesus and who did he say he was. And so today, I, I know that um, we're going to be sharing and talking about some things. And I don't, when we talk and share about them, sometimes I'm going to get real excited and I'm going to talk kind of passionately about it. But I don't want you to, or any of you to feel like, well, I'm dumb, I didn't know that. Uh, don't, don't feel that way, please, because, I mean, there's so many of us that have even grown up in the church and we've never heard the words of Jesus, okay? And so today isn't so much about what a work of fiction says about Jesus, but we want to first look at what did Jesus actually say about himself? Uh, a lot of times uh, people just don't know because they've never even read the Bible for themselves, uh, don't know what Jesus said. And sometimes it's real kind of confusing because we hear bits and pieces, kind of hearsay of Jesus. And so we, we kind of get this idea that we want uh, to pick the best things that we like about Jesus. And maybe some of those other things we'll just kind of leave out. And, you know, the Bible, Jesus did say, John 17, 3, he said, this is eternal life, to know me and the Father. He said, to know him. And, and so there is this sense, you know, talking about knowing Jesus personally. That's a phrase that's sometimes used. Um, but it doesn't mean that we personalize Jesus, like you'll personalize your, where, where, where's that bear? You go to that place where you make bears, build a bear. Yeah, yeah. It's not like you do your own little build a bear, you know, and I'm going to do a build a Jesus, you know. And so, you know, we don't personalize Jesus because it just doesn't work that way. How would you like it if the people around you made you into whatever image of you they imagined or desired? You know, let's make a flip book of Shannon. Let's see. I, I want him to have a more metro look uh, with some cool horn rim glasses. And let's give him a, a better sense of humor because I want him to tell more jokes. And then how about giving him some coordination so he could dance better and catch a ball? because I would really like a sports ministry started. And finally, you know, let's polish him off with some professionalism. I mean, he acts like a kid too much. You know, those are all really nice things to want for me, but you know what? That's not me. That's not me. First of all, I don't like to shop for clothes, and I look really stupid in those cool geek glasses that other people can wear and look cool, cool in. I, I don't. And I can't remember jokes. It just doesn't work for me. And I'm not smooth. I'm not coordinated. In fact, uh, when I played football, I was never a receiver. Even though I was built more like a receiver, I, they called me Stonehands McCready. You know, I was like, catch! Ugh. And, and then I kind of danced the same way, too. I kind of do the Frankenstein, you know? I'm just kind of a stiff kind of guy. And, you know, I, I even had a baseball magnet in my head. You know, it was, catch! I got it! I got it! Eh, that was me, you know? So, and you know what? I will never be professional because when I do, it just really negates my authenticity. And so I will always act like a kid even when I'm 90 years old. So, you know, if people try to make me into something I'm not, I would hate that. It just, it just wouldn't be right. Do you think that maybe Jesus hates it too? Do you think that Jesus wants to say sometimes, you know what? You're making me into something I'm not. You maybe wish I was a social reformer, wish I was a white man with blonde hair, and it's safe to say that most ethnic Jews of his day were not. Uh, and you may wish that I was just a good teacher. You may wish that I wasn't single. 
You may wish that I was Santa Claus. You may wish I was born female. But you know what? I wasn't. Seek the truth, men and women. What did Jesus say about himself? And what are the sources you're using to find out what Jesus says about himself? Let's think about what not we wish Jesus would be. But let's think about what he said he was. Our, our message series is, is entitled Seek the Truth. Uh, you know what? There's a lot of people in Asheville that are honestly seeking truth and seeking God. There's been a lot of curiosity that's been raised and our questions raised by an author named Dan Brown. Uh, he sold more than 40 million copies of his book, The Da Vinci Code. And soon, a movie that uh, has been made from the book will be in theaters this month. I've listened to the book on CD, and it was really well-written, uh, a suspense story, kind of like a National Treasure, had me hooked, and I was going, and, uh, you know, had a fast-moving plot. You know, it's a great piece of fiction. Uh, the only thing that has really disturbed me uh, with Brown's book is, is the statement on page one of his book, and this is what it says. It says that the background facts in, this, in the book accurately represent artwork, architecture, documents, and secret rituals. Now, normally, you know, work of fiction comes out. I mean, I wouldn't even bring this up in church. I mean, it's not even worth talking about. But because of this one statement and some of the background historical claims in this book, it really deceptively casts doubt on faith in Jesus Christ. And if you know me and you know a bit of my, my past, I mean, I, there's been some people who have deceived me and tricked me, and, and I, I hate that. And, you know, and I, I, whenever I sense deception, man, I, I get the Spider-Man sense tingle. You know, it's like, ooh, and I just want to get away, you know? And so I just hate misinformation. I hate deception. I love the truth, and I love the truth, Jesus Christ. So let me just mention six claims uh, from the code that Dan Brown considers accurate background facts. So you know what I'm talking about here. And, uh, but which historical scholars would debate and argue and say, no, nah, that's not true. That's not what happened in history. So here, here are the things. Uh, one is that history never had a definitive version of the Bible. It's page 231 of the Da Vinci Code. The, the Bible, as we know it today, was collated by the pagan emperor Constantine the Great, also on page 231 of his book. Uh, another thing, Jesus was viewed by his followers as a mortal prophet a great and powerful man, but a man nonetheless immortal. Page 233 of the Da Vinci Code. Uh, another thing uh, is said, uh, more than 80 Gospels were considered for the New Testament, and yet only a relative few were chosen for inclusion. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John among them. Page 231 of the Da Vinci Code. And then another thing, the marriage of Jesus and Mary Magdalene is part of the historical record. Page 245 of the Da Vinci Code. Uh, another thing is, is spoken of, every faith in the world, okay, not just the Christian faith, this is a broad blanket statement, but saying every faith in the world is based on fabrication, but also including Christianity. This is the definition of faith, acceptance of that which is we imagine to be true, that which we cannot prove. Page 341 of the Da Vinci, da Vinci Code. So basically, sum all that up, here are the basic questions that are raised by this suspense novel. Was Jesus God? Was Jesus married? And are the scriptures found in our Bibles today reliable? In answering these questions, I'm going to seemingly come at this a little bit backwards because I first want to look at what the scriptures say about Jesus and what he says about himself. Then next week, 
I want to share with you about how we can know whether or not the scriptures in our Bibles are reliable today. I know that this might seem a bit backwards for some of you, but I want you to first know what the church, the body of Christ for the past 2,000 years has testified as being true and genuine. I want you to know that first. Because there's a lot of people that rag on the Bible and they've never read the Bible. So I just want to say, let's, let's know first what the Bible says, and then, then if you want to rag on it, you can, okay? But let's, let's do first things first, all right? Then you can understand why those six claims from the Da Vinci Code and the novel are so disturbing to Christ followers who hold to the ancient teachings of the apostles, right? So I want to read to you some of the words of Jesus that were heard by his disciples, 12 of his disciples whom were appointed by Jesus to be his apostles, which means sent ones. He had a special mission for them. And later, the apostles recorded these words in writing. I want you to know that all of the New Testament was written between 50 and 95 A.D., while many eyewitnesses of the events and even enemies of the gospel who saw these events were still alive to refute any of the errors that may have been in here. Here are the words Jesus' words as recorded by the Apostle John, who is known as being the disciple Jesus loved the most. Jesus speaks about the significance of his words, and he says in John 12, verses 44 to 50, Jesus cried out, When a man believes in me, he does not believe in me only, but in the one who sent me. When he looks at me, he sees the one who sent me. world so that no believes in me should stay in darkness. As for the person who hears my words but does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world but to save it. There is a judge for the one who rejects me and does not accept my words. That very word which I spoke will condemn them, condemn him at the last day. For I did not speak of my own accord, but the Father who sent me commanded me what to say and how to say it. I know that his command leads to eternal life. So whatever I say is just what the Father has told me to say. I'm sorry, I'm really spitting today. I, I need to give you a towel and some soap for a shower down here. Sorry, kids. Um, elsewhere, Jesus compared his words and teaching to the foundation of a house and that only those who truly build their lives on the foundation of his teaching would enter the kingdom of God. The apostle Matthew recorded his words saying this, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons, perform, perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house upon the rock. Matthew 7, verse 21, 24. It's not surprising that just before his ascension back into heaven, Jesus committed his words and teaching to the apostles as the basis of obedience for all future disciples, future Christ followers. That's a lot of us in here. He gave them to us. And he said these words. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Matthew 28, 18 to 20. Jesus had previously given the apostles his assurance that the Holy Spirit would ensure that they properly presented his teaching. In John 14, he says this, These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. 
All this I have spoken while with you, but the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said to you. The teachings of Jesus were entrusted to the apostles, and this is why from the very first days of the church, the Christians devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings because their teaching was the actual inspired words of Jesus Christ. Acts 2.42. I, I didn't, okay, good. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and the breaking bread and to prayer. And if you want to see what the beginning church did, look in Acts chapter 1 and chapter 2. It was natural then that the writings of the apostles and those closely associated with them quickly assumed the status of inspired scripture. And Colossians 4.16 you see some evidence of this. The apostles' writings were to be read in the meetings of the church. They were authoritative alongside with the Old Testament scriptures. Uh, 2 Peter 3.16, the apostle Peter referred to the apostle Paul's writings as scripture. And in 1 Timothy 5.18, the apostle Paul referred to the gospel of Luke as scripture. The apostles also were very insistent that Jesus' words were the, God's final message for the human race. They urged Christians to uphold and defend these teachings and that from this point forward, God would provide no new teaching, no other path, and no other way. Jude, verse 3. And what I mean, what I mean by that is that there'll be people that will say things to you that, that, that um, are, are you know, brothers and sisters in Christ. When God's Spirit is working in us, we say things to each other, encourage one another, and sometimes God works through that. But when, when he does, it's usually just repeating what he's already said in the Scripture. It's not anything new, okay? That's what I mean by that. In fact, the letter to the Galatian people, the Apostle Paul says that anyone presenting a different gospel, or in other words, another teaching other than Jesus' words, they should be eternally condemned. I mean, that's harsh. That's really harsh. Look at this in Galatians chapter 1. Uh, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let him be eternally condemned. Wow. It's dangerous stuff. So this is why Christians were so very careful about the words of Jesus and were quick to reject false teachings or other writings that claim to be gospel accounts like the Gnostic Gospels, which are starting to come back around. You see them referred to. I, I, I've been in a book club, and I always see, I'm looking through the magazine in the book club, there's advertisings of the Gnostic Gospels. But they were written 100 to 200 years after the first original Gospels were written, the ones that we have in the Scriptures today. The Gnostic Gospels were not in harmony with the original Gospels and were considered false and heretical by the early church leaders. But you know what? That's what Dan Brown draws upon for a minor part of his writing, along with a major part of his writing being uh, background stuff from views and assumptions from the Jesus Seminar. Let me tell you just a second about the Jesus Seminar. The Jesus Seminar is a group of liberal scholars who are working to rewrite the Bible with a color-coded text that identifies what they believe Jesus didn't say. Now, in our Bibles, it would be Jesus saying this. But in their Bibles, it would say, we don't really think Jesus said this. I mean, give up everything to follow him? Eh, I don't know about that. Take up your cross daily and, and follow me. We don't really think Jesus said that. I think that was added later. It was made up. 
That's what they would say. But they would also have a color-coded version for what maybe Jesus said. Well, we think he might have said this. And then they would also have a, a color-coded thing in the Bible that would say, and this is what we really think he said. So the work is based a lot on assumptions of skepticism and a commitment to explain away orthodox Christian faith that doesn't make sense today to them and in our culture. Or in other words, they desire to invalidate what has been authentic teachings of Jesus since the first days of the church. It's from one of the uh, Gnostic Gospels that some of the Jesus Seminar writers find an idea that hints there was a writing that claims to be written by, uh, or claims that something special uh, happened between Mary Magdalene and Jesus. And uh, it's from a Gnostic writing that claims to be written by Philip. So there is actually something outside of our Bible, outside the scriptures, that claims this. But let me, let me explain this and share it to you where they pulled this from, because you'll, you'll laugh when you hear it. Um, it's a Gnostic gospel uh, writing that claims to be written by Philip, not the Apostle Philip, but Philip who is known as the Evangelist. And again, I, I say it's claimed because really Philip would have been dead by the time it was written, Philip the Evangelist. So in the writing, it says that during a meeting, Mary Magdalene greeted Jesus with a kiss on the... And then the translation, the word is dropped out. It's missing. The, the fragments of it, they, they can't decipher it. And so in that word, where it leaves everybody hanging, where did Mary kiss Jesus? And so there are some people want to uh, assume some things there. But the writing is illegible at this one point. But credible, credible biblical and historical scholars of the time period know that any sort of public greeting between a man and a woman in Jewish society was incredibly modest. And the most logical thing to fill in the blank would be a kiss on the forehead or on the cheek which would have been more customary for that day and age. But others, they want to assume more. And that's what the Jesus Seminar and Dan Brown base most of their assumptions that Jesus must have had some sort of spousal relationship with Mary Magdalene. That's it. That's what they're basing it on. That one thing. A heretical writing that wasn't accepted by the early church fathers. And in a portion of Scripture, or in a portion of this writing, where the word is dropped out. That's what they're basing it on. Well, okay, maybe they also base it on some musicals that were written in the 60s that portrayed Mary Magdalene as a prostitute, okay? But it's really a far-fetched inter interpretation from a heretical writing. But when you look at the original Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, written and accepted by the apostles, we see that Mary Magdalene was never singled out or had any special place or in relationship to Jesus. She has always lived followers who helped support Jesus' ministry. Luke 8, verses 1 through 3. She was with the same group of women followers at his death on the cross and at his burial. Contrary to popular musicals from the 60s, there is no record in scriptures that Mary was a prostitute. But instead, scriptures say that she was possessed by demons. Right, you know, a little different in the musical if you wrote it that way. But Jesus cast them out of her. So the only time Mary Magdalene is singled out is after Jesus' death and burial, where she is the first person to see Jesus after his resurrection. In this scene, she's been crying, and she is because Jesus' body is missing. She's upset. She thinks somebody's stolen. And so she's crying there in the garden, and she sees Jesus. Jesus speaks to her. And she's startled by the sight of Jesus and cries out, Teacher! She can cry out, Lover! Husband! 
my dear one. It's a teacher. And in her excitement, she grabs And what does Jesus say? Don't hold on to me. Real romantic, huh? Real romantic, yeah. John 20, verse 17. Later, Jesus tells people to touch him. You know, because you know the story of Thomas, the guy who really wanted some evidence that Jesus was alive, and, and Jesus gave it to him. He said, well, hey, touch my hands, touch my side. See? So, you know, this whole Mary touching him and, and Jesus saying, let go of me, I, I really think it could be, again, this is, this is Shannon McCready's assumption and what some other people assume when they read this and read between the lines, is that she embraced him, which would have been inappropriate for a man and woman in that culture. The idea that, and so Jesus just said, don't touch me. Could be, maybe. The idea that Jesus was married is just really laughable. You know, people, many people were single in early Judaism. The, the Qumran community, which created the Dead Sea Scrolls, they were a group of men that decided to keep themselves celibate. Uh, you know, they're an example of young men, men in, uh, in the Jewish community. Also, John the Baptist, he was single. And more than likely, he was a part of this community too. Really, all you need to do is some objective study. And whether you're a scholar or just regular folk, I believe you'll discover that this is true. You know, seek the truth. Just don't take other people's word for it, okay? Look into it for yourself. You know, I want to get back to the words of Jesus now. And, and we'll talk more about the reliability of the scriptures you know, that we have today in the Bible. We'll talk about more of those next week, okay? But here's a short list of, of Jesus' statements about himself that were concerning his divinity or being God. Luke 22 says this, But from now on the Son of Man will be seated at the right hand of the mighty God. They all asked, and the they being the Pharisees and the Sanhedrin that had him on trial. Are you then the Son of God? He replied, You are right in saying I am. John 10.30, I and the Father are one, as he's speaking to his disciples. John 10, verse 37-38, Do not believe me unless I do what my Father does. But if I do it, even though you do not believe me, believe the miracles, that you may learn and understand that the Father is in me and I in the Father. And then in John 14, he's talking to his disciples again. If you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and you have seen him. And then Philip said, the Apostle Philip, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you are not just my own. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. And then later, the apostles in their teachings and writings confirm the words of Jesus, say in their writings things like this in Colossians 2, For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. Then in Hebrews chapter 1, the Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of His being, sustaining all things by His powerful Word. And after He, Jesus, had provided purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Okay, so here's the point of all this. According to the original Gospels, Jesus said He was divine, that He was God. According to the apostles and their teachings, Jesus was divine. When Jesus said he was the Son of God, 
in the ears of his audience, whether they were his enemies or his followers, he was equating himself with God. A father and son shared the same name. So this is in contradiction to what Dan Brown considers historical. When he writes, Jesus was viewed by his followers as a mortal prophet, a great and powerful man, but a man nonetheless immortal. That's not what the early followers thought, okay? With this same thought, here's a problem with Jesus being married and having children. For someone to have been the biological child of Jesus would mean that they would have to share his divinity. They would be able to make the same claim as Jesus, I and the Father are one. If it were true that Jesus had children and other descendants, then we would not be worshiping the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the Trinity. We would be worshiping a God with more than three distinct persons. You know, Sue had that little, the little paper doll thing with the three persons, but it was all one. Instead of three, you know, say that Jesus had eight descendants. Then instead of worshiping the Trinity, we'd worship the octinity, I guess. And you'd be there, there'd be eight little guys connected together. Eight persons uh, making up one God. And, or, or if, you know, there were ten descendants, then uh, it would be, God would be decanity, you know, deca or whatever with the, with the word for ten. Uh, you know, if this were the truth, I don't think the apostles would have a problem telling us. You know, the real problem is that Jesus never had any children for the apostles to tell us about. In fact, one of the disciples of Jesus, Philip, not the apostle, but the evangelist, when later sharing the story of Jesus with a guy who was walking down the road, and this is in Acts chapter 8, you hear about this story. He's walking down the road, and he runs into this Ethiopian dude, and he starts telling him about Jesus. And, and he quotes prophecy from the book of Isaiah, which says about Jesus, in his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. So guess what? This guy, Philip the Evangelist, who says Jesus had no descendants, is the one the Gnostic Gospels claim wrote the Gospel of Philip, and he's the one that Dan Brown and the Jesus Seminar assumed falsely that he recorded Mary, gave a kiss that was more than a customary greeting. And this guy, really, in actuality, says Jesus didn't have any descendants. He was cut off before he could have them. That's what the Scriptures say. That's what they teach. And that's what the first followers taught about Jesus, those who walked with him, those who knew him. All right, so let's go back and look at the six claims from the book. I've only addressed two of the claims. Jesus was viewed by his followers as a mortal prophet. Not true. Not true. Not true according to what we know has been handed down from the apostles and it's written in the Scriptures. Jesus was viewed as divine, as the Son of God. The other one I addressed is that the marriage of Jesus and Mary Magdalene is, is a part of the historical record. Not true. I've only slightly addressed the 80 Gospels, which uh, Dan Brown claims were considered for the New Testament. Next week, I want to talk how we can know that the Bible we have today can be trusted as reliable and how other books were not considered. And I'll, I'll give you this clue. The Roman Emperor Constantine had nothing to do with it. Okay? All right. I, I, but today, as we kind of wrap things up here, just what I want to I wanna share with you, and I want to challenge you, is, is I want to encourage you to read the original Gospels, written, what were written and accepted by the apostles and the early church leaders. Look and search for Jesus' I am statements. It's where Jesus describes himself. Things where he says like, uh, I am 
the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me, John 14, 6. Or statements like, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty, John 6, 35. All these and more can be found in the Gospel of the Apostle John. It's just full of I am statements. Read what Jesus said about himself. Don't make up your own little personal flipbook of Jesus, okay? Read it with the attitude of seeking the truth. Jesus, who are you? What are you about? Read it with the attitude of knowing that it isn't just a bunch of information, but that the Word of God is living and active, and that when you read it, there'll be moments where it's like, you'll feel like Jesus is speaking to you. And I really do pray that, that it won't be just an information gathering time for you, but it'll be as if Jesus was actually speaking to you, and it'll be in a, spiritual, a spiritual experience for you. Uh, for those of you who may not have Bibles, I want to let you know that over here at the information uh, place over here where the big banner and there's doohickeys over there, just there, there's Bibles. And those Bibles are meant to give away to people who don't have Bibles, okay? Or if you got one and it's just hard to read, we got the easy-to-read language kind. And so if, if you got a version that's really, it's really your struggle to read and understand, check out the Bibles over there. And if you don't have one, take it home, please. It's our gift to you. We want to welcome you. And again, I hope today that you understand uh, we're, not, we're not protesting this movie, protesting the book. Again, I want to encourage you uh, as an adult, uh, go to it. Take a friend who, who maybe thinks Christianity is just bogus. Take them to it because it will stir up questions. It will stir up questions. You'll have a great opportunity to talk about what you know to be true, what you know to be true from the Gospels, okay? What did Jesus say about himself? All right. hey, let's pray. Stand with me. And uh, after I pray, uh, you guys, are, you can go, you can head out. You guys are going to be playing some music. You're welcome to stay, but officially we're done, and you can go. Heavenly Father, I just want to say thank you so much for what you've given us into your word, what you've given us through the apostles. Lord, I pray that you'd help us in knowing the truth, knowing you. God, I pray for those who are, are searching, who are questioning. I pray, Lord, that you would. I, I know, Lord, that you're not afraid of our questions. And, Lord, that you do want to answer them, just like you answered Thomas when he had his doubts. So, Lord, I pray for those who do have questions, that they will ask you and they will seek you. God, bless this group of people. Watch over them. In Jesus' name, amen.